Hello, everybody, and welcome to the HTML All the Things podcast, episode number 50, How to Fill Skill Gaps. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. Now, I'm going to ask you, Mike, am I going to read this thing again? Am I reading yeah, this yeah, thing again? The weekly paint, the weekly, what was it? What, what was the slogan? It's that the we're... Shameless Self-Plug Saga. Shameless Self-Plug, self-plug oh Saga. God, it's like half a page. A, it's, it's now becoming a weekly Shameless Self-Plug Saga. Try to say but it, that. then you're ruining you're ruining the alliteration. That's true. That's true. Uh, so, anyways, Seasonal? it brought to my attention actually the other day that I didn't for some reason I didn't realize this, but digital dynasty design is also alliteration. Yep, we, we like alliteration. Not... I think we I think we legitimately both secretly and unknowingly like alliteration. I don't know if because I I never really now. paid attention to the fact that it was, and then one person's like, "Oh, that sounds good. It's like it's like alliteration," and I was like, "Oh, oh, it is." Like yeah. I didn't really think of it. Uh, but anyway, if you're listening, if you're enjoying this podcast so far and want to support us, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform that you're listening to this on. Uh, you can also uh, check us out on Patreon. We only have two tiers right now, uh, but the $3 tier will give you a shout out on the podcast uh, and we'll also share a link to your website in those show notes. Um, and uh, probably the most important one is just to uh, spread us around, you know, share share online on your social media channels, tell your friends. And uh, let anyone know that's interested in web development in any capacity, whether they're experienced or not, that we are doing this. As well as we also have our Discord channel, of course, Discord server, rather. Uh, I think we are around, if not have, gone above 50 members now, which is uh, a lot of growth. And really appreciate that. So if you guys want to join in this developer community where we all talk and chat and uh, just kind of shoot the shit about web development, uh, please, please do so. But with that being said... I'm going to pass it off to Mike for his weekly pain point. Mike, take it away. All right. Uh, well, my weekly pain point is, uh, I guess, being wrong about something. Uh, last week, we were talking about CMSs, and we had a big deep dive into which CMS is better or which CMS we were thinking of using. Maybe not better. Better is probably not the right word for that. But in, in that talk, we were talking about October CMS and how we didn't understand the use cases of it. Um, and during this last week, we had a listener actually reach out to us and let us know how October CMS can actually be used for building client sites, uh, with static pages. They have a first party plugin, meaning that it's created by the October CMS developers called static pages, which actually creates those, you know, editable fields and the handholding that Matt was talking about. So it's definitely something that I think Matt and I will revisit at some point. Um, and for sure, we'll let you know how it goes. Uh, it's, it's definitely not closed off in my books because for the most part, I actually like the UI of it. Uh, it was just, you know, kind of confusing why they didn't have this static pages built into the actual starting, like, you know, like get quickly, get started quickly and all their tutorial vi- uh, videos. But other than that, it's looking like a pretty powerful plugin. I like that it's first party and that's, that's kind of what I wanted to say where I want to go with it. I'm going to check it out for sure and let you know. What about you, Matt? Uh, yeah, so uh, not I don't have the same weekly pain point, but I just wanted to add to yours that uh, for sure I am really interested in that plugin. So once you check that out, I'm sure we'll be actually probably discussing that on the show and saying like you know kind of talking about our findings as to uh, what we think of that more UI more UI than markup version, if you will, of October CMS. Uh, but my weekly pain point happened mere moments ago, um, where. In its infinite wisdom, I don't know whether it was Windows, I don't know what the hell happened, but uh, apparent, plugging in a webcam uh, broke every audio device that I have, 
and refused to allow us to record and required me to update Windows, do a bunch of other stuff, and it still didn't work. And so now I am chat appless. Um, like the video recording software that we normally use, uh, is I uninstalled it because I was done with it. And then it was still broken afterwards. So, uh, my weekly pain points more or less just me bitching and crying, but, uh, that's just, <laughs> that's just the way it is, uh, to be, to be blunt. Uh, that's, that's it. That's my weekly pain points. Don't plug in a webcam when you're recording, folks. Anyway, with that being said, uh, I'm going to go through these segments. So, segment number one is going to be, uh, what is a skill gap? Segment number two is going to be filling skill gaps. And then we also got our recurring uh, recurring segment, which is coming back this week, which is uh, web news. And that's going to be all about reliability. So segment number one uh, is going to be what is a skill gap? So I'm just going to start out with an example just straight up. So take a used car dealership website. If we assume that there's no templates, no themes, no CMS for us to use, then we have to generate everything ourselves. And then with that being said, let's also assume that the business is new and has no design language for us. So that means like there's no, there's no logos, there's no color scheme, there's nothing already pre-built. They are commissioning us, this used car lot is commissioning us to figure out all of their branding details. So colors, logo, promo images, the list goes on. This type of project isn't uncommon and it requires a ton of skills, including art, which can be divided into illustrations, photography, typography, design, etc. And then there's the development side of things, which can be divided into UI development, back-end development, and there's a couple other roles in there as well. And then, of course, marketing. So we have people like the social media experts, the marketing, the market researchers, and the list goes on there as well, etc. So what we're trying to get at with this example is that even though this is a very simple idea, right? New, new used car lot opens up next door. They want their brand new. They come to you. They want their site done. There's a lot of skills here that need to be filled and small teams and individual freelancers are often affected the most by having skill gaps. So when I say skill gap, I'm actually referring to the absence in the skills required for a given project. So because websites require a bunch of skills, like I already mentioned, artists, marketing, uh, marketing experts, developers, designers, the list goes on. Oftentimes there's like a gap there. Like someone doesn't know anything about marketing. Someone doesn't know anything about design. Someone isn't an illustrator, et cetera, et cetera. And with that being said, there's actually little to no crossover when it comes to some of these skills. So artists are not generally going to be developers, although some are. Marketing experts might just be marketing experts. They're not going to be artists, although sometimes they can. But there's big gaps there, right? It Sometimes it can take a very long time to actually learn some of these skills. And small business owners oftentimes wear more than one hat. However, when something is specialized, something like the illustrations that I was mentioning, a rather obvious gap is actually left in the company's skill set. And oftentimes you might feel the urge as the as that entrepreneur in that situation to just learn that skill that you lack but that can actually actually cost that that can actually save you money however if the skill is very specialized and will take a very long time to become competent at so like illustrating things then it may take so long that you'll actually end up losing money so i'll give a just a prime example of mike and i so we do, will do our own bookkeeping so when you when we talk about accounting for a small business for the most part, you're talking about bookkeeping, so keeping track of your invoicing, your uh, expenditures, that type of stuff. And then at the end of the year, there's all the 
more accounting side of thing. And I know I'm not using the official terms because I'm not an accountant, clearly. But basically, it's, you know, you have to file all your stuff. You have to make sure everything's all done right. You have to pay the government whatever they need to be paid because of the income tax, blah, 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 a whole bunch of regulation, that type of stuff. So what Mike and I did was we learned the skill of bookkeeping. We bought software to help us with that. And so we actually save a bunch of money from hiring a bookkeeper. However, learning all of the laws for uh, income tax and that type of stuff, because it changes so much. We said, Nope, the heck with that. And we have an accountant handle that every year for us based on our bookkeeping. So you have to kind of pick your battles. So I think the hardest part of that, like you were mentioning with the uh, QuickBooks and accounting and stuff like that is the fact that there's just so much other stuff that we have to, we have to learn and we have to know, especially when you're first starting out. And it can be like, you know, project management, coding, and then operating systems. There's so many different things. Like with project management, I think there was like a million different softwares out there. We chose Asana. With coding, we there was like brackets at the time, VS Code, Notepad++, just Notepad, uh, Vim and stuff like that. Like we had so many options with all these little, with all these things. And each one kind of takes a different set of skills to learn. And just, just the sea of different opportunities and different technologies out there was kind of a tough thing to first fathom. And it was tough to kind of go into where we want to focus and what we want to learn and what, what skill gaps actually need to be closed and what aren't like what skill gaps aren't closed like that. We can't, we can't, you know, we can't take everything on. So I think it's really important to narrow down in each field, like which ones you need to learn. And then from there, narrow down, okay, how comfortable I am with something like this, so this kind of software, like Asana. This seems like a, a fairly low amount of effort for us to learn. Therefore, it could be a good way for us to get into it because we're not project managers, like we're not professional project managers. So we need something that can kind of handhold us through through these things. But with coding, we need a lot of extensibility so we can invest more time into that. So th- it's a different conversation. So what I'm saying is, is going from one skill to another, it's a different process for each skill, for each developer or for each person, even if you're just listening to this as an entrepreneur, going through which pieces of which, which technologies, which uh like programs you need to invest your time in to learn to close those skill gaps and which ones you can just kind of use a more generic, easy hand-holding solution. And if we're talking about web development, and that's what we usually are talking about, um, at a high level, we actually kind of came up with a bit of a strategy after seeing all those things, all those options that Mike was mentioning and all the different things like the counting and the operating systems and which ID and all that stuff. So we're like, okay, Let's take a step back. And what we actually did was we took a look at what it would take for us to do our main goal, which was to make a customer site from scratch. We identified a few areas where we had shortfalls and then we took measures so that we were prepared to deal with them. So it's like, okay, none of us can draw. We have to maybe hire someone there. None of us can do the accounting part. So we have to hire somebody there. You know, maybe we have to outsource this type of stuff. We have to outsource this and that. So that's kind of where that, that, that's kind of how we did it. And so I think that's kind of an important part of actually determining where your skill gaps lie is because you just what you should do is just kind of look at your main goal and determine like the path whether it like whether you're alone or with a partner go through with your partner if you have a business partner go through yourself and look through the whole path and just figure out like okay we need to do this 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 but we don't know how to do these two things what do we do hire somebody do we outsource it what do we do and then that'll kind of help you sort of start whittling it down and make it so that it's kind of less of a panic when you realize like oh crap i don't know how to do this like, what do I do? What do I do? There's no, there's no panic. And it allows you to kind of just focus on what you know, what you know, what you're doing. Now, 
Uh, moving on to segment number two, which is filling in those skill gaps. Uh, there are a variety of ways to fill skill gaps, and I'll be listing some of the general ones below. However, this is not a one-size-fits-all scenario, so keep in mind you'll want to analyze uh, your specific situation before actually deciding on a plan of action. So the first little point here I have here is learn the skill yourself. So I've already mentioned this, and this depends on the complexity. You may uh, just be able to learn the skill yourself and just take on whatever's needed. Get that done yourself and, you know, hooray for you. But this is often actually not possible because when the skill is very different from what your bread and butter is, or if it's something that would take a long time to master, you'll probably spend, you know, months, sometimes even years to actually learn that skill and you won't, you won't even won't even be at the professional level yet. If you're learning to draw something, if you're learning to be an illustrator, you might be able to draw like, I don't know if you learn to draw something easy, like you're tracing over planes or you're drawing eyeballs or whatever you're drawing. You're not going to be at the professional level where if someone comes to you and says, Hey, can you draw me a logo of like a bird attacking something? It's like, no, I only know how to trace. So you have to get your skills to a point in which it's actually at a professional enough level. Now, as an alternative to all of this, you can actually learn the the skill slowly on the side. You can contract out that specialized skill. So if we're using illustra- illustrations, you, as an example, you can contract out to an illustrator, slowly learn illustrations on the side. Like I said, learning how to trace on things and learning how to draw eyeballs and whatever else. Because I don't know, I always see people when they learn how to draw, they always learn how to draw an eyeball first from my experience, which I'm not sure why that is, but maybe it's detailed or something. I'm not sure. Um, but then as you you know, slowly get more professional with your skill, you'll be slowly able to say, okay, I'm actually competent enough that with this customer request is simple enough. I'm competent enough. I can just do it. Yeah. And I I fully understand that. Like the thing with, with learning things, uh, sometimes you're right. You have to balance what you need to learn, what you don't need to learn and, and what, how much of it you need to learn. I want to focus on that a little bit, uh, especially from a technical aspect. Like I, most of my talk is obviously from a technical aspect. I do do some business stuff, some customer relations stuff, but I'm mostly in a technical role. And if it's a technical skill that I'm going to be learning and deciding if I need to learn or not, or if I'm going to learn myself or I'm going to pass it off to someone else, it's I usually go into it with the, with the thought of let's learn at least on a high level how something works. Even if it's something that like I'm just considering using at some point in the future, I will, I do want to learn how, like, if I can read the API, if I can understand the syntax of the language, if I, stuff like that. Like, as long as I understand what it accomplishes and how it accomplishes it, I think that gives you a really powerful way to A, communicate with someone about it and B, understand it enough to know when it can be useful. So these are the kinds of things like I like to do in a learn it yourself kind of thing. So those are the steps that I take. Um, I will, I will learn it to that degree. And then based on the need. So if I, if I absolutely need to use this technical skill in the future, I will go in and do a deep dive and learn it and do some tutorials and go step by step through the process of becoming a professional at that skill. But if I don't, I at least have that in the back of my mind for in the future. If someone talks to me about it, I am able to communicate with them, obviously. And if it ever comes up in a development scenario, I can then be like, okay, well, this is a possibility to implement in this scenario. And I have that kind of base knowledge on it. And building on top of that too, the, the second, the, the second uh, sort of uh, way to fill a skill gap has actually been talked about several times. So we'll kind of dive into this more with more detail here. So contractors slash freelancers 
So hiring a contractor is probably the fastest way to get a new skill added to your team. Uh, the option can be, this option can be quite pricey, however, um, but oftentimes can be worth it if they're very fast at their job or if you're being paid more than enough to cover their fees. So, you, you know, you're getting that little bit of profit margin there. And there are even uh, marketplaces like Guru or Fiverr that allow you to shop through different contractors um, or freelancers to quickly order some work that you need done. So even if it's just a one-off, you know, you don't have to necessarily start up start up a relationship with the person and like do the interview process or anything. You can kind of look through a proposal they did and, you know, grab someone off a of guru or something like that. And if you're in need of repeat work, you can actually start to develop some of those, some of those relationships. So you can make some sort of business arrangement with the contractor. Um, and they, you know, I'm going to give you repeat work, maybe, you know, maybe you're their lower, maybe they'll lower their hourly rate. If you give them a certain amount of hours per year or a certain amount of hours per month, whatever that arrangement is that you come up with, that can slowly actually lead to the next thing, which is actually employees. But back into this, contractors are also a great way uh, to get the job done without having to worry about the long-term commitment of an employee, especially when you're not sure when the next job will roll in. And that's the case for a lot of freelancers. Sometimes you'll have like a really big job and then you'll have two months off where you're just constantly looking for a job or maybe you're just doing regular maintenance stuff or maybe you're taking a break and you have a passive income source or maybe you have money coming in from something else. And so you don't want to have an employee just constantly sitting at their cubicle or at their desk, you know, being paid $8 eight for eight hours a day when there's nothing actually coming in. But however... Going to the next stage here, employees. So this is generally the most expensive and obviously the longest term of all the options. Oftentimes, employees are only hired by businesses that are starting to generate an income at a very steady rate and are in need of constant assistance. The benefit of an employee over a contractor is that they work under your terms. You know when they'll be at work and they won't be busy with other clients like contractors could be. Over time, employees will get better and better at their jobs and that means that eventually they'll be able to get work done faster or they can complete more complex work and then you can actually start applying for higher paying jobs because your skills overall in your team have are increasing. The, now, the downside of all this is that you'll owe them a steady salary or maybe an hourly rate, whatever it's been negotiated, which can be difficult to keep up with if you don't have that steady flow of work coming in. Now, you'll also be, there's also another caveat here is that you'll also be competing with other employers that may look to hire your your employees as they become more skilled. This type of competition exists when you hire contractors as well to an extent. So the highest paying person uh, gets the higher priority generally when it, in, in the eyes of the contractors. So if, you know, this, if you, on, I don't know, June 1st, you apply and you tell you ask your contractor, hey, I need you to make a uh, logo for me and I'll pay you a hundred bucks. And, and on June 1st, another company comes and says, hey, I need you to make a logo for me and I'll pay you 500. They're probably going to go with the $500 option. So you'll get kind of pushed by the wayside. So that kind of competition still exists in the contractor slash freelancers um, area as well. But it's kind of bigger with employees because they're usually gain skills quite quickly because they're in a steady position at your company. Um, however, with the comp but the competition is greater with employees because if they leave you, you're left looking for another person at their skill level at least. So, like I said, with the contractors, there's also that bit of competition, but with an employee, if they've left, now you need to find someone else, hopefully at their skill level, who knows what their expected wage is going to be, who knows how long it's going to take to find that person, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas with the contractor, you're like, oh, well, I could find someone else to do a logo hit one of those marketplaces, like I mentioned before, and just find another contractor. At the end of the day, you're probably still going to get the job done in a reasonable amount of time. Now, with that being said, I'm going to pass it off to Mike to read off the old web news. Mike, take it away.
Let's do this. All right. Back to web news. It was weird not having web news last week. So it's be nice uh, nice to get back into the old web news. But it, it's going to be a little bit of a different web news this week. Uh, it's going to be about reliability. Um, so here we're going to be kind of going through a few scenarios. And I'll be asking you, Matt, actually, some questions. And I don't know if you've read them before, but you might be in the hot seat for some of these. Uh, and then I'll also answer those questions, obviously, and we'll have some back and forth based on each question, but it's going to be kind of like a question, a scenario question, and then a conversation kind of scenario. So let's try it out. Um, so when dealing with clients, they often will, will state that they need their site and email services to be up 100% of the time. Uh, they'll, they'll reiterate that like a million times. Like, okay, so we'll, we'll, we, like when you're talking to them, they'll be like, okay, we'll do this, this, and this, but I need this to be up 100% of the time. Okay, well, we'll do this and then, but I need like this migration to go 100% well. We've talked about migrations in the past, but this is kind of more of on the whole scale. So they expect this, but when they state that this is required, this required, when you state that this requires regular maintenance and of course a fee associated with that, they usually aren't like, oh no, we won't pay a fee. We just need it to be, we just need it to be up a hundred percent of the time. We're not going to be paying a monthly fee, like 10, 20 bucks a month. No, 200 bucks a month. Hell, like heck no. Like we're not, we're not dealing with that kind of thing. So it's on us to explain to the client what they're getting and how, how we need to accomplish it with a monthly maintenance package. What are the important things you think, Matt, to mention when bringing this up? That's a really good question, actually. Um, one of the thing, one of the things that came to mind when you're when you're reading that out is that is I would explain a very common failure scenario. So it would be based on what the customer was specifically asking to be up all the time, and I would just, just simply say like something like, "Hey, if I don't know if if this server goes down, someone needs to be there to reboot it, or something like that." Right? Whatever the situation calls for, uh, I would just explain like, "Hey, like we need to be." actively monitoring this because we need to reboot that server. And obviously that situation is very high level and very vague, but like the situation would be very specific with when you're talking with your client. And I think that that, I think that that will generally kind of trying to push it to the client. Like they'll kind of, they'll they'll kind of like start to understand like, Oh, I understand why you need a maintenance package. Um, also, another way to do it too is if you've done your pricing scheme such that your hourly rate is more expensive than a package deal. So, like a maintenance package or a maintenance subscription is a good one. Um, so, what we'll do is we'll have like if you co- if you go with us for the maintenance package, we'll kind of do a little bit of extra work than what is normally normally accepted in the in the package price versus the hourly rate, and so they will normally go for the package for fear of losing funds. If that makes sense. If you, yeah. if you understand what I'm saying. So it's yeah. like, they'll be like, man, I don't want to pay you a hundred, I don't know, 150 an hour. But I mean, if you're going to charge me $50 a month, I mean, I'll do that. Right. And then that's $50 a month in your pocket because I mean, again, it very much depends on the situation, but maybe you're not even doing $50 worth of work. Um, maybe you're like, you know, maybe there'll be two couple months where you don't do anything. And then one month where it's heavy, but like, it'll all balance out. Like if you've done your pricing correctly, that's a better way to kind of sell it to them. Um, I'm not really sure if you're kind of on the same page as me in that uh, or like you kind of agree with my opinions on that. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting question for us because like full transparency, this is probably one of our weaker points in our business. Like we do have monthly subscription con- contracts and stuff like that, uh, but we're not we're not gr- great at selling ourselves in this regard. So I thought it would be like an interesting 
you know, a back and forth because maybe there's something that we're missing. Like we haven't really had a, a full deep dive on this, but in my, in my eyes, I think our, our biggest issue is, is that when we offer them this, we always think of like, Oh, well, what if we don't do anything that month? And then they, they don't, they don't, they pay us that monthly subscription fee and we don't do anything. And that's kind of the, again, not the greatest way of thinking about it because what they're at, what they're paying for is your ability to keep their site up a hundred percent of the time. So, uh, or again, when they say a hundred percent, you do have to kind of correct them a little bit because you're, because you have to, and, and I'll, I'll mention this in a point later, but you have to make sure that they understand that a hundred percent of the time is not really achievable, but you can get to as close, as close as you can, depending on what they're, what they agree with with the monthly maintenance package. Like you, you can tell them specific things that you're going to do to maintain their site. They're going to, you're going to have constant backups that, that takes time every month. Let's say you, you, you set up an auto backup, but you have to check it every once in a while and make sure it works. Then you're going to have also a, a check. So you're going to be checking once a week or something like that to see, to ping the site, make sure it's up, give you a report, stuff like that. Make sure that, it, make sure that it's up. You're also going to be available for calls. So maybe not all the time. And again, this will be a future question, but you'll be available for calls. And if there's any sort of issues that they see on their end, you'll be able to, you know, solve it for them. So I think those, like those specific points have to be made. And I think in our own heads, we have to get the idea of us not doing anything being a, a thing where we don't charge. For, like we, we are doing something because we, for money, we, we are going to be maintaining their site and we are going to be doing changes for them and stuff like that. Like we, we have to get out of our own heads in this case. Like that, that's why I think we're, we're, we struggle a little bit in selling this kind of package. Um, but it's definitely something that we want to, tell the customer like again customers want this like they want their site to be up as much as much time as possible they want their uptime to be very high because for a lot of people you know if if the site is down and someone goes to visit that site that's unprofessional in their eyes and that's that's true it is it is a true statement like if if i go to even if it's like a local pizza shop and i all of a sudden want to order some pizza and i go to their site and their site's down i'm going to assume that their pizza shop is closed i'm going to order from someone else immediately like it's not going to going to be i'm not going to call them to check if they're up, but if they're, so these kinds of things do matter, even if it's not directly related to them. And it, it's an interesting, like it's a, it's, it's a harder sell for us because again, we know that sometimes we will be doing nothing during the month other than checking it a couple of times. Uh, but it is important to kind of value our time and our skills appropriately because we learned the skills to maintain sites through years and years of experience and years of college. So th- that kind of equates to a charge, like you charge for all the time that you've put into this specific knowledge base. So it's it's a weird thing, and I think we're going to try to get better at it. I don't know if you have any any rebuttals on that or any anything to add, Matt. Well, I think I I actually think it's a really good it's a really good thing that you mentioned that 100 percent is not attainable, um, and you really need to explain to people what they're getting into with certain things. So if they're requesting some sort of Again, like I'm being really vague, right? Because like every technical situation is like really different. But if you, I don't know, if they, if they want something like, oh, we want a new backup solution put in and it's like super risky. We got to like remove the hard drives from the server. And we're like, well, I need 100%, 100% you know, uptime. But it takes 10 seconds or 15 seconds for that server to boot up. In the best case scenario, you're going to be like, no, there's going to be 10 to 15 seconds downtime. Do you want to do you want to do this? Right? That type of stuff. And I understand that's not really like in line with maintenance packages, but it is important when a client does come to you and say, I want 100% uptime. What can we do? It's like, well, the computer has to start up, man. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, that, like that's it. I can't make it start up faster. That's it. Unless we want to buy a completely redundant infrastructure and have it fail over. 
I can't help you kind of thing. And so you do need to tell your customer like what they're getting into when they do, when they, when they're asking you to do something. And also it's not always a bad thing. And we'll mention this to some of our clients. Some people will be really afraid to say they're unsure about something. Like if they're telling you to do something and you haven't really touched that technology too much, you could just say, Hey man, like I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to look it up and I can get it running. However, I'm not an expert in this particular thing. So like, you know, like I'm just warning you now that I haven't touched this. I have to research this. And if we need to do it immediately before I've researched this, then there's a risk of something going down. Like just, just in my opinion, anyway, like some client, some people would definitely disagree with me and say, no, like just cover it up from the client. I disagree with that. Like I'm fine with telling clients like, Hey, I haven't touched this, but I'm absolutely willing to work with it. I'm absolutely willing to read up on it. And if we can push it back, I'll research the heck out of it and figure out how to do it. Or we can just go, but I mean, who, who knows what's going to happen, right? I have a lot of experience, but I can't have experience with everything out there. So, yeah. And I, I think like, I think we've had mostly positive reactions to those kind to those kinds of answers, to be honest, like mostly uh, a couple of times we, we have some like, oh, so you don't understand this, but then we have to go back and explain like, yes, like there's a lot of different technologies in our field. We understand the base, the core of the technology, but we don't understand the specific thing, but we can definitely learn it. Like, but, but we need the time to learn it. And I think when, when you explain it like that, even to the skeptical people will be appreciative of your honesty and usually trust you a little bit more rather than you being a yes man saying, yes, I can, I know this a hundred percent. I've done it a million times. Like that, that to me, that sounds ingenuine because if you keep saying, yes, I've no, I've done this a million times and anything ever goes wrong. Or anything ever goes slower or worse than the client expects, it's kind of like they're going to start questioning. Well, do, do they know even the basic stuff that they said they know for sure? So it's a it's a weird on like it's a weird thing where you have to maintain the fact that you're confident, but the fact that like you have to be honest with your client. So I fully agree with you there, Matt. Um, but with that being said, let's move on to the second question here. Uh, so clients also require you to constantly be available for calls. And I know that you and I have had some contention on this, uh, but if they, A, think of an idea for their site or B, see something wrong with their site at any time during the day, uh, they they might, you know, give you a call or send you an email with an urgent and, f- again, this false urgency kind of thing that that you and I have talked about. So when quoting a site and putting communication costs into the quote, We've had a few negative reactions to that before because people are like, well, you put, am I, am I going to be charged for calling you or am I going to be charged to like, you know, send this email or this call that we're on? It's, it's a weird kind of relationship and a weird kind of thing. Like we want, there is a cost associated with us having to communicate. Um, but we're not, we're not charging for like every single little call. We're charging as a base cost. So, so that the, the longer calls, especially because there's going to be some calls where you go back and forth and you have to, you know, get, gather requirements and stuff like that. That stuff costs money. Um, those are the kinds of things you have to communicate to them. So do you think that there are any, that are, there should be any boundaries set right off the bat or you think, or only if things get out of control? So you, sh- what, what I mean by that, l- let me clarify is that, should you set like, okay, you can only call me at this time of day at this time of like, you know, like during the week, not, not on weekends um, and put that in the contract or do you go case by case? So you just let them like without any sort of boundaries. And then if they start calling you a lot on the weekend or a lot after, after six or whatever, then you can start setting the boundaries. What do you think, Matt? Well, I'm kind of torn myself because We've had a lot of, like you said, one of one of the major contention points. I think I'll just kind of like 
like mm-hmm. put the my own forward in here, if you will. One of my main contention points that you and I've had is like I absolutely despise false urgency, and the reason why I say that is because I kind of work very much like an old like a like not not an, I almost said an old IT professional, but just like as an as a because that's my <laughs> that was my old job, I guess is why yeah. I, I was trying to say that, but. Like I kind of kind of work like an IT professional. I I kind of like put things into my like tickets, whether it be in my head or literally in our project management software, and then I do them. And interrupting me is fine. Like I'm not gonna you know freak out if you had some cool idea and you wanted to call me stuff like that. Like I'm open to that. I'm not you know being ridiculous. But I really hate it when people like freak out, literally freak out about something that is not an emergency. Like it is absolutely not an emergency. Something like. Oh, this font one time when I refreshed and I can't reproduce it doesn't show up right. It's like, are you kidding me? Like maybe it was a Google font that didn't load randomly once. Maybe your internet connection dropped for a second. Why are you like freaking out? And these type of things, for whatever reason, always seem to happen in the middle of like a weekend evening or like just in the middle of like a weekend where it's like, well, get on your computer and fix this now. And it's like, uh, first of all, I'm not going to take orders like that. Like we've had a couple people do that to us. And it's like, first of all, I'm not going to take orders like that. And second of all, it's the weekend. Like, I didn't know you were going to be exploring your website or like trying to edit your website or trying to fix up your website in the middle of the, of the night. And the biggest kicker with a lot of these people who do false urgency are generally people that will leave a project sit there for months. So it's like, I don't know, you've reached a milestone and you need the customer to approve so that they can get to milestone two. So you hand it to them and like the whole project is supposed to take two weeks. So, you know, week one's passed. You hand them this. You say, hey, prove this. And then I'll work on this next week. And next week will be done. You hand them it. You hand them in at the end of week one. They sit on it for eight weeks. And then all of a sudden on like a Saturday at four in the morning, what are you doing? This font like family isn't set correctly. This font size isn't right. What what are you doing? Get on your computer and fix it. And it's like, I'm out of town or like I'm out and doing something. And they'll be like, no, get on your computer and fix it. And it's like, well, first of all, like, first of all, like that's, that's pretty rude to be, to be general. But what I mean by false urgency is that's not an emergency. That is not an emergency. First of all, the project isn't live. We're in a milestone phase. Clearly it's not an emergency because you delayed it for weeks on end. You know, just because it became an emergency in your mind today doesn't mean it's an emergency to me now. I have other clients. And because, and if that happens repeatedly, I don't intentionally do this, but you get pegged down my list. I now treat nothing like an emergency. If you message me saying something's an emergency, I will ignore it. I'll just be like, oh, I'm going to put that in my regular queue of work. Boy and whether, you cried wolf. yeah, boy, you cried wolf. It's like, it's like that wasn't an emergency. Like, I understand, but we're reasonable. Like, I'm trying to make this clear, right? If people call me or like do whatever and they don't understand, they thought it was an emergency and it wasn't, that's fine. Like, I'm not going to yell at you or anything, but we do have those people that literally middle of the night, Saturday, eight weeks after the the deadline where they were the one that delayed it. They'll just like, be like, get on, like literally get on your computer and fix it. Like what? I'm not at home right now, man. I'm not at my office. I'm not at my desk, whatever. Like what, what the hell? You know, like, I don't even know. I don't even, I don't even know what else to say to that. It's like, no. I'm not going to do that. And and when it's not an emergency, it's like, well, like you're right. Boy who cried wolf. I, you're, I'm going to treat your work with less priority. I'll treat it with regular priority. I'm not going to treat you badly or anything like that or do worse work. However, I'm not going to believe that this is an emergency and I'll just put it in my regular queue of work. That's just how it'll be. And when it is an actual emergency, I will overlook it. And that won't be because I'm 
trying to be like that. It's because I can't have a constant interruption to my flow of work for things that aren't urgent, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And the the other thing with, with this kind of stuff is usually when stuff like that happens, when false urgency happens, it's the clients that don't like to pay you that like service fee. It's the clients that are like they expect you to get up at, you know, 6 a.m. on a Saturday to fix their problem, but they're not understanding the, the concept of why do I need to pay you a monthly fee to to maintain the site? That's the disconnect that I see a lot or I, that, that I've noticed a lot is like usually the clients that fully understand how the whole system works and how they, they that we need to, you know, do some effort, spend some time, make sure that their site is maintained and stuff like that. They're not the ones that are calling you at 6 a.m. to fix the site, <laughs> even though they're the ones that are paying for the, the the privilege to do that, essentially. It's a weird – it's a really weird thing. Like I don't, I don't know what it is about like people's mindsets. And it, like we're not saying that these people are essentially like not – like they're normal people and they're, you know, they're doing things like they think is the correct way to do it. I think a lot of this is maybe on us to educate them to not do that. And that's why I was like, is there – should we set boundaries for that kind of stuff? Is there a way for us to – to put it into our contract? Is there a way for us to maybe not even in the contract, maybe just communicate with them? Uh, listen, like I, th- this is the cost of your project. This is, this is how much everything is going to cost. There is going to be a cost associated with the communication aspect. Maybe we have to call it something different than communication. Maybe we have to call it like pro- requirement gathering stuff like m- more, more, uh, like be more specific on what we're actually talking on to what we're with. communicating, not just in general communication. That might've been a bad on our part. And I'll, I'll admit to that, that that's probably not the greatest way to, to communicate that. Uh, but I think, I think we do have to start like maybe not setting full strict boundaries, but explaining how the process works. Like, like you were saying with the ticket system, like you were saying how, like how you, how you manage emergencies, how you manage stuff like that. Like you have, you have a ticket system, whether it be in your head or the project and you do task by task. So if they were to call in, and give you a, an issue, you'll just put that in your queue, right? And you'll still cl- you'll still solve it, and it'll still be solved in a timely manner. It'll be in your queue, so they just need to understand that you will solve it. I think they're they're worried that w- the reason that they're doing this false urgency is they think that if they tell you something, you just won't do it because maybe they've experienced that a lot in their life, where they have to like put urgent into the tag of their email for anyone to even read it. You know what I mean? Like we've had that experience before. No one reads our emails. Like a lot of people don't read emails. So or they think, read read the first question out of like yeah, three. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. And that happens all the time. Like literally, that's a whole. We could do a whole other podcast episode on people reading emails. hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's such a ridiculous topic, and it happens across every single, every single kind of project, every single company. Like I can't even every, every field. Like the, every field, out of web development. Like yeah, any any level of position, like lowest position to CEOs. Like literally, everyone has this issue. We probably have this issue as well. Like maybe we don't read the whole email. Like. I don't know how to even solve that. Maybe maybe we should have like a deep dive conversation on that at some point on a, on a different web news. But uh, essentially, what I'm saying with the with the boundary thing is is that like I I believe that it's it should be on us. And again, I'm taking the onus to to educate the customer about how we do things, and maybe that will kind of you know make them understand and not give this false urgency thing. I think that that's, that's our problem. Again, we could have some customers that just don't understand that. And then we have to figure out how to deal with them on a client to client basis. For the most part, we have been pretty lucky and have had some pretty good 
mostly good relationships. Even with the harder customers, we usually have a pretty good relationship with them as well. Um, we have been pretty lucky in that sense. But I think, again, as t- as time goes on, as we get more and more clients, as we get more experience, we'll, we'll obviously keep evolving our strategies. And I think this is one of the things that we need to kind of put in there. Well, I, actually, one of the, I was actually going to mention that is you were saying as we evolve, like as we get bigger, like as the company gets bigger, one of the things you have to sort of implement is actual limits. Because if we start offering things that have support, let's say, I don't know, we made a web app for somebody and it has a support contract in there. We can't be having, like Mike and I are, are both not going to be monitoring each other's schedules. You know, none of us are on call, right? We're a small web development business. At the end of the day, there's going to be a window in which they can call and we, we would need to decide a window in which they can call. And I actually see this a lot with even like businesses that are comparable in size to ours. So not that much bigger or even a little bit smaller where they actually just say on their website, Hey, you can call us or whatever, right? Here's our general thing, but our response time is 48 hours or our response time is 72 hours or something simple like, Hey, we're open nine to five Monday to Friday. We're not picking up the phone, you know, during that time. And, and this is, this is as the business gets bigger. Like right now I'm fine with talking with customers, stuff like that. They want to talk to their ideas and all that type of stuff. Like it's more of a personal relationship right now because we're smaller. But as we get larger, you have to introduce bureaucracy. And part of that bureaucracy is time windows. You have to say, hey, sorry, if this goes down, like this is what you're getting into, right? You're you're up front. You want to use, I don't know, our hosting and we have a 48 hour, we have a, this is all hypothetical, but like we have a 48 hour response time and you want immediate response time. You know, I'm going to tell you right out of the gate, we have a 48 hour response time. You're okay with that? Fine. If you're not. I mean, you have to go look elsewhere and I can maybe even help you try to do that. Like we're, like I said, we're reasonable, but as we start getting more and more projects, I can't, I can't have like a super like intimate relationship with every client when like some people, like as you grow, some people will just come to you for one quick website. They won't work with you for years and then they just go whoop and they're just, they're just gone, right? Fair enough, right? They got a website from you and they're gone. So you can't have like a closer relationship with everybody because you're, you're growing to the point in which it's like, I can't talk to 18 people a day about their projects and still get some work done. Right. So you have to introduce those those boundaries when your business gets bigger, in my opinion. Yeah. And I I agree with you to to for the most part. Um I think there's sh- so this one's a tough one. I think that there should be a way for them to contact you without the forty eight hour limit thing. Uh but I feel like they have to be on like a premium plan or something like that. And if they're on a premium plan, either if it's a big, if it, if we're a bigger company, we can kind of hire a third party receptionist kind of thing, you know, like a, a a personal assistant to handle those kinds of calls, or we we like you know charge the appropriate amount that we would charge for that kind of work. You know what I mean? Like, I agree with you in a sense that on a general basis, on a general contract and stuff like that, there should be a time frame for them to call, hundred percent. Um, especially as we get bigger, but I think that there should be a way because there's a lot of clients that just need their stuff to be up at all times and they're willing to pay for it Of course, and as long as you communicate with them. So I feel like for those clients, there should be a service where we, maybe it's not like, you know, uh, right away. Maybe it's instead of four or eight hours, it's like six hours yeah, response yeah. time. You know what I mean? Like you lower the response time based on how much they pay. And I think that that's fair. And again, that, that. Again, that scales to a certain amount of money, but it, it's just it's just one of those things that like I I know that there's some clients out there that are going to call regardless, 
and I'm fully okay with like answering their calls for the most part, as long as they're reasonable in the sense that if I tell them, Hey, I'm at a movie right now, I can't answer your calls. They're like, okay, that's no problem. I'll call, I'll call you like call me or let me know when you're at your desk. Like, Oh, that, that, that's of, totally fine. Yeah, that's, exactly, that's totally yeah. As fine. long as they're okay with that kind of community, like a relationship, I am fully fine with answering calls at any time that they call, as long as I'm in a situation where I can answer a call. And that's most of my relationships are like that with my clients at this point. Like most of my relationships are like if I'm sitting down at dinner, I don't answer a call. But if I'm like after dinner sitting at my computer and watching YouTube videos and they call, I'll answer their call, even though it's after work hours and I'm resting and stuff like that. They'll call and they'll, it'll usually be something like, oh, I just found this article or I just found like I just thought of this idea for the for a project and we'll have a back and forth conversation and that'll be it. And that's how like a, a, I think that that's that's a normal and healthy relationship with the client. Um, and I just want to point out that like sticking to very strict timelines sometimes is detrimental to ha- your relationship with your client. And you have to almost do it on a case-to-case basis because sometimes a client will take advantage of it and you have to very much put a firm, like point your firm foot down and be like, listen, if you're if you're going to be calling me whenever you want, then we have to put a, a relationship where I can tell you that I can't pick up the phone right now and you can be fine with that. That's I, the only I'd way I'd agree I'm with do that. This. 100%. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Like that, that's more so what I'm getting at with the false urgency. Yeah. Like we, I, I had an instance today where somebody called me. And I uh, didn't pick up just because I missed the call, but I was out of town until just recently. I just drove back. And so I literally just texted the person and said, hey, I'm out of town today. You know, I'll be, you know, do you need assistance now or whatever? I'm just, you know, I'll be back tomorrow. And they're like, no worries. You know, that's fine. And that's fine. I'm fine with that. That's cool. You know, that's not a problem. Not an issue. Like, I'm fine with that. That's not false urgency. But if a person had called me and said, like, I desperately need you to put in a new page. It's like, no, that's not urgent. You know, in most cases, that's not urgent. That's you being late on requesting a new feature. You know, let's calm down, mm-hmm. right? Like, let you know, don't start screaming and yelling. You know, that that's more so what I'm trying to get at, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I fully understand. Okay. Uh, okay, with that, let's move on to the final question here. Um, and I think we've kind of answered this a little bit, but let's get, let's get into it a little bit more. So a lot of the time when something goes down, it's usually an issue with the host, but clients don't know that nor like they don't care or and they don't know and nor should they in my opinion like these situations although are beyond our control will still be on the shoulders to you to explain and solve for your client so it is more of a broad question what how do you tackle these kinds of things like how do you a how do you like actually solve these kinds of situations quickly and at the same time communicate with your client about what's happening and b how do you put into a contract like again we were talking about the 100% uptime how do you state to your client that it's not going to be 100% uptime because not everything is on our backs even though like we are the ones that are going to be solving it but not everything is sol- solved by us how how do you how would you approach that like how do we approach that this is actually a really interesting question because um one of the things is is like you can this this really touches on the I, I can't remember exactly what the conversation was that we we actually just had. I can't remember what brought up this small point, but one of the points was like you can't you can't you, you have to show confidence even when you're unsure about something and you don't want to tell your client like I don't understand this 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 like you don't want to look like a like a fool like or like someone who doesn't know what they're doing or someone that's too inexperienced. But at the same time, you need to be honest. And with that being said, then sometimes you have to take liberties uh, with these things. So if you have done a hundred of this certain type of server migration and it has never gone down, but you know, just because you're experienced with it, that it could go down for 15 minutes. You're you like me. I wouldn't even mention the downtime because I've done a hundred without it. 
and that maybe that's not a good idea. And to be clear here, if it was something extremely serious that literally could not go down, like a medical system or something like that, I mean, we don't really touch that as web developers too often, but if it was something extremely serious, then I'd be upfront with everything. But if it's just something like somebody's blog, which is usually what we're dealing with, you know, I've done a hundred of these. I haven't had any downtime. I'm not going to bother them saying, hey, we might have 15 minutes downtime on the rare one out of a hundred, you know, chance. Like that's outrageous, I think. So I think in terms of your own experience and the importance of it actually not going down, I think you can take liberties in small areas. Another thing you can do also to mitigate it as well is just do it in do it at times in which won't impact like choose a time like a physical actual time like i don't know 3 in the morning or i don't know whenever whenever the thing is used the least to do the maintenance or do the change and then that way it's like maybe it'll go down but like no one's going to really notice right so like just pick your battles but don't inform your client to death like you, they don't care whether like the SSL will have trouble installing they don't know what that means they just want it up right and so I think I think that's kind of where I sit, where definitely describe things to the client when they need to know, especially if it's high priority and blah, 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 blah. Explain to them at a high level what they need to know, but don't get into those intricacies and don't go crazy. Like a big thing that DNS companies will do is they'll always say 48 hours, 48 hours. Now we'll mention 48 hours, but 90% of the time we'll get this, we'll get like the thing where it's like 48 hours, that's outrageous. I've literally seen it take 48 hours one time, and that was during an outage years ago, before we were even working here. I've never seen it at, personally, again, personally, I've never seen it take 48 hours myself, a DNS change. And so I'll mention off the cuff, like, hey, this might take up to 48 hours, but in general, it's two hours. Like, I, I, I'll alleviate it with that, right? That's what I mean. Don't bore the client with like, oh, it could take 48 hours. And if there's a problem, then it's another 48 hours. So like we may have a serious problem, you know, don't get into that. And if you're, if you're confident in what you're changing, usually again, usually with DNS, it'll just fail over to the new thing anyway. And so as long as you know what you're doing, you know, whatever. Yeah. So that, 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 I think, I think that answers the, like a migration kind of situation. What about a situation like uh, recently uh, there was a Cloudflare I think a couple of Cloudflare outages where all Cloudflare sites went, had like serious issues, right? Where their images wouldn't load or their like some links wouldn't load. Like there was just serious issues that affected, were affected on Cloudflare side. Now a lot of sites are using Cloudflare. So a lot of people were affected. So in this situation, it's not really a migration issue. It's just like literally a third party service that you're using to do something for the website has gone down or is, is, is mid, like, working at a minimal level and the client notices right it's on you to like it's it's going to be they're going to be calling you they're not going to call a cloudflare because they don't know what the heck that is but then you have to a like explain to the client and b also at the same time try to think of a resolution for the client like that those are the kind of situations that i is it just it's tough to handle and it's tough to put in a contract like how do you do that like how do you what what do you do in those kind of situations? You think? Well, it, it's very interesting because because it's one of those things where I always bring things back to the automotive industry, but it, it's because it's it's kind of polar opposite. It's very mechanical, if you will. And one of the things that's really interesting is a lot of the time a, a, 
automotive manufacturer will actually purchase parts from another party. So like GM will purchase like a part, whatever it is from another company and, or they'll like, you know, maybe they'll engineer it, but they'll get it made in a couple of different factories. So the manufacturing process is a little bit different, but the product is supposed to be the same that the part is supposed to be the same. And then they'll have like a recall on like the specific part because maybe the third party part they purchased had like, I don't know, some sort of failure or like it was manufactured incorrectly in one of the two plants where they got it manufactured. And as a result, there's been a recall on one of the, on one of like the SKUs or whatever, whatever the case may be. But people don't blame that product. People don't blame that factory or they, Mm -hmm. people don't blame that other company. They blame GM. Uh, They'll blame, they'll blame the, that, and that, that's not my stance, but that's kind of where I'm stuck is because it's like, they will blame you. They will blame us. They'll be like, what's going yeah. on here? And I'll be like, well, there's like a massive outage. Like there's sometimes you can get away with it when it's something like, hey, m- like multiple sites are down. Mm. Uh, when the Google Cloud went out, right? Uh, when there was an outage not that long ago, it was like Snapchat went out. A couple other things went out. A couple things were acting wonky. It's like, hey, hey, man, most of the internet is like, or not, mo- not most of the internet, but like a big portion of the uh, popular apps out there are having serious problems right now. There's just internet problems worldwide at right now. So there's nothing I can really do. Sometimes that's good enough for your client because they're like, well, there's nothing he can do. Like, what do you want? <laughs> you know, what do you want me to do? Fix the internet. But at the same time, they will come to you first and they will often blame you if they're that sort of person. They'll be like, well, I put, I, I'm paying for this. Like, you come on, you know, and you're like, well, I'm not going to have a, an 18 times redundant infrastructure to ensure that, you know, if your plugin fails, this will, co- this will come in if the, if the DNS fails, this will come in. If the registrar fails to renew, it'll fail. Like, I'm not doing 18. Like, it's not going to happen. You know what I mean? Well, again, uh, if they're willing to pay for that. Oh, absolutely. If they're willing to pay for, like, a week of work where you're just doing failovers, that's a different story. Like, you know what I mean? But no one's willing to pay for that. Like that, that that's not a realistic scenario. No, absolutely. But you're, yeah. No one's going to pay for exactly. Like, again, we don't work uh, with medical industry clients and, and I want to make a distinction where like there is web development work in the, in the medical industry. I personally refuse to do it because I don't want to take that responsibility. Because, yeah. Like, could I, you I imagine messing up? Like I don't, having an app yeah. that accidentally pulls the wrong prescriptions into a list I'm, and then, yeah, then they give that. them the wrong pill. And the person's allergic yeah, to that medicine, like, yeah, <laughs> almost made a, almost like did a big old swear there, but yeah, yeah. screw that, like, yeah, exactly, the hell with that, honestly, yeah, I ain't doing no. that. No, we're not, we're not doing that. We're not taking any sort of medical clients on. It's just, it's just one of those things where, like, I didn't want to be a doctor for the same reason that I don't want to work in a in the in this industry. Like, I'm not, I'm just not doing that. So, but regardless, we're not working with those kinds of people. We're not working with. Like, medical industry people. So we're not going to be having people that are going to be paying thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars to get us to set up an 18 step failover. I'm sure it exists in, out, out in the wild. I'm sure that these medical places and stuff like, I'm sure that there's some people that do have these super intricate failover systems. And, up and, in place. and for good reason, I'm sure. Yes. Banks exactly. or something probably. Yeah. Right. But we, we don't, we don't tackle it that way. So I think like to summarize what you're saying, I think the biggest thing for us to do is to educate the client in a sense where they understand that we're not responsible for the entire internet. hundred percent uptime is not really achievable, but we can get as close as we can to that. Um, but when stuff goes down, like you said, point to the stuff that's gone down. So if it's a massive internet outage 
and your client knows what Instagram is and it's down, be like, listen, Instagram is down. It's affecting, it's the same exact problem that's affecting your site. They will tend to understand that and tend to, uh, tend to kind of reason with you. At least that's been our experience for the most part. That's kind of where I wanted to go with this. Um, and you, you brought it right there, Matt. So, uh, that I think that that's more than, more than sufficient. Just make sure that again, take down their expectations of a hundred percent. And then when stuff comes up, make sure to educate them on what, what you, a, what you're doing, cause they want to know what you're doing to solve it yep. and B why it's happening. And that's it. That, that, that really is all, all that needs to be said on that. Well, topic. One brief point actually is just mm-hmm. that sometimes it will alleviate them if you offer to reach out. So I'll, I'll just give yep. like a real brief example. So more recently, we had a client who was working on Webflow, and they were trying to educate one of their staffers, I believe, something like that. Anyway, they're trying to educate somebody else on how to edit their their Webflow site. And they called me, and they're like, what's going on here? This isn't working kind of thing. And I was like, okay, let me take a peek. Go and I look, and I'm like, oh, this is acting really weird. And what it ended up being, because a lot of people were complaining, is that all of the Webflow sites, or at least all, or a bunch of them anyway, I should say, uh, we're having an issue. It was an issue on Webflow's end regardless. And it was like widespread, at least to an extent. And so I was like, okay, you know, this is on the Webflow side. This is like, this is their problem, whatever. I can reach out to their support. However, because it's an outage affecting many of their customers, they will more than likely be already dealing with it. Would you like me to reach out? Yep. And uh, and sometimes customers say, yeah, reach out. Okay, no worries. I can reach out and I can give them an ETA. Maybe there's like a chat. Um, a lot of the times they'll be like, oh no, no, that, you know, that's helpful, whatever. If it doesn't come back by tomorrow, I'll call you again. No problem. Done. That's it. Or they'll be like, Hey, can you monitor when it'll come back? And so you just like watch Twitter usually or something and that's it. You know, not a big deal. Um, that's just a a way to mitigate it. I just wanted to mention that because like some people would like panic, you know, when there's like a problem, it's like, no, 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 this is how you mitigate it. Hey, it's not my fault, but I'm willing to do what I can from my end kind of thing. So. I just wanted to mention that. Uh, are you are, are you are you completed? I saw you give me give a thumbs up, but I didn't know what what that meant. I saw it in the in the old webcam there, so I wasn't mm-hmm. sure. So uh, I guess we can run the old conclusion then. Um, well, th- yes, you can. Well, thank up. thank you for listening, and uh, make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice. You can uh, follow us on the socials via at HTML all the thing. That's on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter via at HTML everything. We are on Medium and we're on GitHub. And we're also on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. Check out the tiers and give that a go. And many thanks to our $3 patrons, which are Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript. You can find him at youtube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. And again, works is spelled W-E-R-K-S. We also got Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design. You can find him at localpathcomputing.com. We have Craig, aka Cosworth, as well as Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital, which is which he's which can be found at blueblackdigital.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on, and we are signing off.